welcome to another episode of Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversations, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramil Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and joining me as co-host is Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Welcome, Maria, to the show. Thank you so much, Remel. It's great to be with you today. And we should mention the fact that we are actually recording from the site of the National Right to Life Convention. And we're so excited for that. Yes, it's been quite fun just putting things together and preparing for this convention. And the big day is almost upon us. And uh, we are very excited for this episode today. And uh, you will hear why in just a few moments. Uh, we all know that we are fighting for life for the next generation. And one of the biggest assets that the pro-life movement has is who we are fighting for, which is the generations that come after us. And it's amazing how many young ones out there have strong opinions and views on the sanctity of human life and the need to protect it. We know there is hope when our youth speak up and share their convictions with us. Today, we will listen to three such vibrant young women who displayed excellent knowledge, as well as personal convictions on various life issues. They contested with several other students in our annual essay and speech contest and came out as winners. We will hear from them right after we give you the legislative update and inspiration. Maria, what legislative update do you have for us this week? Well, Ramel, the following is from an article by David Drusco at National Right to Life. We count a national research project led by the Society of Family Planning has been on the cutting edge of charting the impact on the number of abortions since Dobbs uprooted Roe versus Wade on June 24th, 2022. According to Amelia Thompson DeVoe, their numbers have been collected by contacting every abortion center in the country multiple times over a period of 12 months. What have they found? Thompson DeVoe writes, based on new estimates provided exclusively to 538 by WeCount, that there were 24,290 fewer legal abortions between July 2022 and March 2023 compared to a pre-Dobbs baseline. These people might have remained pregnant or obtained an abortion outside the legal system, which would not be captured in WeCount's data. As you would expect, there are huge regional differences. Underneath these top line trends, meanwhile, is a huge amount of variability by state. Some parts of the country, like the Northeast and the Pacific Northwest, have seen relatively small changes. But a handful of states bordering the large swath of the South, where an abortion is almost impossible to obtain, are absorbing large numbers of new patients. But I think that the critical message is this. There have been more than 24,000 fewer legal abortions in the United States since the overturn of Roe versus Wade. And that's something we can all be happy about. Remel. Yes, and I think that is such an important update to combat the lie that the law doesn't change things in the land. Uh, we definitely know that there have been fewer abortions since 
since Roe was overturned. And uh, today, I, we, we are only a few days away from the one-year mark of Roe's overturn. And as for inspiration, I would like to read an open letter to the Supreme Court that appeared in the Washington Post on May 12, 1974, a, oh year, after, a year after uh, Roe v. Wade was made into law. So this was written by, this was, the letter was composed by Dr. Richard P. Delaney, and it was endorsed by 382 physicians who wrote this to the Supreme Court, and, uh, on, on, and it was published on Mother's Day of that year. So this is what the letter say, says. Last Mother's Day, we published the first physician statement reasserting our commitment as physicians to the sanctity and dignity of human life. We have lived with your tragic decision contrary to that position for more than one year. We have lived, millions have died. We take this means of publicly communicating to you these basic facts, what are fundamental to any informed decision regarding the unborn human person. At the moment of fertilization, there is found in that one cell a new human life. This new life is without question separate and distinct from either parent from whom it springs and is a new human being complete with respect to its entire physical potential. That this new being is both alive and human is neither a matter for debate nor for philosophical speculation. It is a biological fact not denied in any quarter of the informed scientific community. The development of a human from fertilization to adulthood is a biologically smooth and continuous process. Cell by cell, minute by minute growth proceeds in an unrelenting and highly organized fashion. There is no specific point between fertilization and maturity where it can be said that this particular cell or that particular minute brought with it a humanity not previously present. Nothing but nourishment will be added from the world outside of the new being. All of the growth comes from within and all of it programmed into the master plan contained within that single fertilized cell. Given this fact of life, we believe that it is not within the jurisdiction of any judge, however eminent his station, nor any theologian, however lofty his title, nor of any philosopher, however erudite his scholarship to deny that the product of conception is both human and living. Nor is it within the purview of any physician given that same fact of life to establish himself as the arbiter of which life is to be considered useful or meaningful. We recognize that grave problems beset a, a society. We believe, however, that society may not cope with poverty, ignorance, and disease by eliminating the poor, the ignorant, and the lame. As physicians, we are committed to placing the highest conceivable value on each life that comes before us for our care. Our proper role is to accept the challenge of disease and to do whatever we can to help each life to function with dignity. The Supreme Court and its fatal decision on January 22nd, 1973, in effect, excused us from our commitment to a Hippocratic oath. We assert that the oath represents the covenant between us and our patient. We seek no escape from its binding power. If the Supreme Court justices decide to still the problems 
of some by stilling the lives of others, that then is their decision. It is not ours and neither by advice nor consent will we have part in it. The choice before society is clear. Either human life must be viewed as having absolute value in and of itself and its dignity be cherished even in the face of adversity. Or the value of life is only a relative thing and its destruction made subject to the whim and caprice of expediency. We, the undersigned, hereby take our stand for the sanctity of life, sanctity and dignity of life, along with our brother physician, Albert Schweitzer. Hear his words and ponder their meaning for our society and for each member of that society. If a man loses reverence for any part of life, he will lose his reverence for all life. It is so compelling. Yes. And so clear. The message is so clear. And I think what I find very encouraging is that the position of the pro-life movement and those who are fighting this fight, it has not changed over the 15 years you know, this appeared 50 years ago and this truth, and this has not changed because truth has not changed. And there is a great legacy here that we stand and fight for life. Um, that when we do that, we are doing so with tens of thousands of people who have gone before us fighting this fight and all of who, who did their part uh, wherever they were. So I think that's a very encouraging and inspiring thing to remember the words of of these physicians, especially uh, Dr. Richard Delaney, who wrote it, who composed it and sent it to the Supreme Courts. And I feel like this message is, is it's, it tested the test of time. And that's, that's exactly what we wanna tell people, uh, the judges and leadership everywhere, hear this, because uh, this, this, this is still relevant and this is still something that we, that we stand firm for. Um, and with that, we want to move on to our interview. Our guests today are Claire Caulfield, Sarah Hamilton, and Veronica Stangle, winners of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation's 2023 Annual Essay and Oratory Contest. In an effort to amplify the voices of the young in our movement and within our state, we invited them to share with us their story. You can read the winning essay in our latest edition of Lifelines newspaper, which is available on our website, www.paprolife.org. Or you can email us or call us at our office uh, to request for copies of, uh, printed copies of the newspaper. So welcome, young ladies. Hello. Hello. So we will start with introductions. Can you tell us your name, your grade, um, and, and the place where you're from, as well as what place you secured in the contest. I'm Claire Caulfield. I just finished 12th grade and I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania. And I won first place in the senior division of the oratory contest. I'm Sarah Hamilton and I'm from Wimber, Pennsylvania. I'll be a senior next year. And I won second place in the senior division of the oratory contest and first place in the senior division of the essay contest. Hi, I'm Veronica Stangle. I'm from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I just graduated from Bethlehem Catholic and I'm going into my first year at Moravian University next year. And I won second place in the senior division of the essay contest. 
And can I just say, it is so wonderful to hear from all of you. It's so inspiring and so encouraging. And to begin with, uh, Sarah, what is your essay about? My essay is about the needs of pregnant women in crisis and what various people, organizations, nonprofits are, around the country are doing to meet those needs. And then finally, I talked about how the average pro-life Christian can help pregnant women and those nonprofits to succeed in their mission. I thought that was a very good essay. You had talked to people, you had interviewed them, and uh, you had a lot of resources. We will come back to you, uh, but I want to ask Veronica, how did you come to enter the contest and, and what did you choose to write about? So I chose to write about assisted suicide and how how important it is for palliative and hospice care, like end of life care is to many patients. And um, I came to enter this essay contest from my theology teacher. Every year he has us write an essay for the PA Pro-Life Foundation. And this year specifically I won and I was very honored when I received the email. So it was just a great opportunity that my theology teacher gave to us. And here I am today. <laughs> Wonderful. And that just shows how important it is that teachers get behind this pro-life essay and oratory contest. They can be instrumental in lighting a fire in the hearts of these young people so that they become involved in the pro-life movement. So now I'd like to ask Claire, tell us about your winning speech. Yeah, so last fall, I was thinking about what I should write. Every year, it's hard to know what topic to pick to talk about. So I was asking my brother and my sister-in-law if they had any ideas. And my sister-in-law, Mara, said, well, the crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized and slandered after the Dobbs decision was released. Maybe you could look into that and make a speech about that somehow. So that night, I went to the computer, opened up Google, and said crisis pregnancy centers, put it into the search bar, and the results, I, I was shocked with the results because I expected, you know, crisis pregnancy centers in Erie to come up, the women's care center, the services they provide, things like that, but instead it came up with Planned Parenthood saying crisis pregnancy centers, what they are and how to spot them. Um, and things like that, all bashing crisis pregnancy centers. So the first article that was at the very top was from the American Medical Association's Journal of Ethics. And it said why crisis pregnancy centers are legal, but unethical. So I was intrigued by that. So I clicked on it and I was just amazed by what it, by what I was reading because, you know, it accused crisis pregnancy centers of so many atrocities and as I was reading I was realizing that this is literally what the abortion clinics are doing so that's what I decided to make my speech around instead of the vandalism of the crisis pregnancy centers centering around this article and saying abortion clinics are legal but unethical so I took each or three of the accusations that the article made against crisis pregnancy centers and showed how abortion clinics were actually guilty of those. 
Yes, and that is something that I think uh, the public usually doesn't know. We, I think despite having worked in the pro-life movement, I have heard many people say that a lot of people out there don't really know what crisis, they don't know about crisis pregnancy centers and they don't know what, the, what services are, are, are available there. And also that we have more crisis pregnancy centers than abortion clinics in the country. Yeah. And that number has, there is a huge difference in the number of, uh, of centers that aid pregnant women. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot of help out there. And to, to, and at this point, I think it is, it's so important to speak up about what they do and how they're helping while abortion clinics are, are doing the opposite. So yeah. that was a very brilliant uh, a speech that you delivered. Thank you. So coming back to, um, to Sarah, what was it like? You spoke to a couple of people, mm -hmm. you interviewed them, you asked them questions. So what was it like uh, interviewing people who have been involved in the cause of life for a pretty long time? It was a lot of fun. Um, I interviewed uh, two people, Mary Alice Kluke, who's been a friend of mine for a while. I knew that she had prayed at our local Planned Parenthood Center, so I thought she would be an awesome person to interview for this speech. So I interviewed her, and then she started telling me her personal story about her experience with being pregnant and um, a Planned Parenthood Center pressuring her to abort. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have to tell her story. So that is what it ended up being. And it became a very powerful part of the speech. So it was really incredible to be able to talk to her. And then I also talked to the executive director of Precious Life Incorporated, which is um, a ministry in Western Pennsylvania that helps women um, in crisis to be able to receive supplies and pregnancy counseling and stuff like that. So I called him and it was kind of uh, interesting stepping out of my comfort zone to talk to somebody I'd never met before about this, but it was very informative. I loved getting his perspective and um, it was it was definitely adventure and I grew a lot from the experience of doing this. It was very, very fun. And Sarah, I must commend you for doing that because I'm a former student journalist and I was very intimidated when I was in high school about interviewing people. It's, it's very <laughs> daunting. It's a nerve wracking experience, but you did it and you did it so well. Thank you. It was a little nerve wracking, but it was it was fun in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Veronica, what did you learn while researching for your essay? Well, it took me a really long time to gather all the information for my essay, but um, ultimately I learned a lot about the right to self-determination, about how the physician has an obligation to do everything in their power to help make a patient's end-of-life care very like peaceful and painless. And I'll, I'll read one sentence from my essay here that I have in front of me. Um, I talked about Pope John Paul II, his quote, true compassion means accompanying another person in his suffering, alleviating that suffering with respect for the person's dignity and never abandoning him or her. So I think that would sum up my essay pretty well. I talked a lot about how it is really important for the physician to make the necessary changes to help prevent the patient from 
getting to a very painful point. And it's just so important that we have to keep the patient in the most peaceful and painless state at the end of their life. I'm so glad that you read that out because I have your essay open up in front of me and that's the line that I wanted to read out and talk yes. about what true compassion means. And I think that is something that you very brilliantly wrote about uh, that yes, there is going to be pain, but what can we do for, to assist people yes, um, exactly. in, at, during the end of their lives rather than, um, than just saying that this is it, like mm-hmm. we, can, we, can, we offer death uh, to people who are suffering instead of, instead of helping them live the last days uh, with joy and peace and comfort. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you for bringing that up. And I just wanted to quickly ask you, did you, were you shocked or um, did, did you feel like when you went in um, that this was, uh, you, that you just opened a can of worms <laughs> when you started researching about this? Oh my gosh. Was that, like, was that your reaction? Yeah. So when I started researching, there were a lot of articles that had a lot of different information and I wasn't sure like what was true and what wasn't because obviously the internet can have so many different points of view and what I first researched was the difference between assisted suicide and euthanasia because they sounded really similar to me and I was like I'm not sure which one is which so I went in and I used what I thought were the best articles for my essay. But like you said, it was opening a can of worms. There was so much information and it was just a lot to take in at once. <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. So Claire, um, since your, your, your speech was about combating misinformation, what do you think is the most important way to do that? I think it's most important for each person to be able to articulate their their views or the truth so especially for being pro-life to be able to respond to the common pro-abortion arguments like my body my choice things like that just to be able to articulate what's actually going on and if every person is able to articulate the truth then the country will know the truth after that and we can change and combat against the misinformation. So to educate people to, to mm-hmm. first go and read up and then, and then, I mean, I guess educate oneself and then articulate it and educate the people around you, right? And right. That's so wonderful that you said that because our previous guest, Alison Santafante, uh, she is a pro-life national leader and she said something very similar. She said mm-hmm. that if I can just talk to my family and if I can just, and they talk to their family and friends, you know, and then yeah. that circle just widens and it becomes, uh, and then the truth gets out there. So thank right. you for sharing that. Yeah, that's, that was remarkable. Thank you so much. Sarah, I'd like to ask you, what can each of us do to support the pro-life movement? There are so many things that the average person can do. I mean, when I used to think of the pro-life movement, I always thought of legislation, lobbying in Washington, D.C., stuff like that. But there's so much that the average person can do from their home that it it's really encouraging. 
um, I listed a lot of things in my speech, in my essay, um, one of which is praying for mothers to choose life and to, you know, experience a connection with their baby so that they don't want to abort because they realize this is a real person they're dealing with and to fundraise for nonprofits or donate to one, like a couple that I mentioned in my speech were Precious Life. And there's another one called Genesis House of Tea in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, they fundraise for other nonprofits. And one that I didn't mention is Focus on the Families Option Ultrasound Program. I really love what they do. So you can donate to a nonprofit or even if God calls you to it, start a nonprofit yourself. And one of one of my favorite things is that you can buy baby supplies, um, diapers, baby formula, whatever, when you shop and donate that to a nonprofit or get to know families and single moms in your area who need the stuff and buy birthday presents for their kids, invite them over for dinner, things that you can do. You can be creative. There's a lot you can do to impact someone who needs help because you never know what small kindness that you can do that seems little at the time will change someone's life. Very well said. Those are all, those are uh, many of the things that you said is something that we can do in our everyday lives. Yes, and definitely. Yes, exactly. um, Veronica, what is your inspiration for being pro-life? So that's definitely a packed question because there's so many reasons why I'm pro-life. But um, as I stated before, I went to Bethlehem Catholic. Um, I went to Notre Dame of Bethlehem in my grade school years. I've been born and raised Catholic my entire life. And in the first years of my school life, obviously they had been telling us like, oh, this is what being pro-life means. And this is what the movement is all about. And I kind of understood, but I was too young to fully grasp the meaning of what being pro-life is and once I got to high school I really started to understand the true meaning and I want to call out two of my family members um, my one cousin she has cystic fibrosis which has really low chance of survival right now it's slowly growing which is really good but um, my other cousin she also has a very rare disease you probably have never heard of it. I don't even know what the correct name is, but um, it starts with CAT6S9 syndrome, something like that. And those, those two family members, I don't even know what I would do without them. They are such blessings in my life. And to think that they could have lost their life because their mother chose not to have them, it's just, it's mind blowing to me. And I think that a lot of people don't understand how inspiring it is to see these people with diseases, with just. It is very inspiring. And, and you know what? We're going to have to leave it there because we're out of time. Thank oh, you all sorry. so very much. Positively yeah. Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.